Zoom Room. I am Caitlin Free, and as always, we have my co-host, Annie Villanueva, joining me, and today we are joined by perhaps our biggest guest yet, no shade at anybody else that has been on the GOAT Zoom Room. We have fellow podcast host, author, and famed race caller, Jason Beam. Jason, how are you? When you say biggest, do you mean size or popularity? Stop it. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I'm Thank you for with, having me on. I am going with popularity. Okay. Well, I'm flattered. I'm, I'm happy to be here. We were going to make you the 25th uh, episode, just like we made Michael Blown our 20th episode. Mm-hmm. And then Chuck Simon and Barry, Barry uh, Spears stole the 25th episode. <laughs> so yeah. you're number 26. I, I like Chuck and Barry. So I, I, in fact, I, I mean, I, Andy and I were joking before we came on air. Like, you don't talk to people anymore. You just have them on each other's podcasts. And I just had Chuck and Barry on mine for uh, for Preakness. So a lot, a lot of overlap in this little world. We love it. Yeah, I've got I've got a couple things I want to talk about with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, uh, we have a Vimeo Award winner here on stat. That's the only reason why I hired her was because she was a Vimeo Award winner. And there's, that's Caitlin Free. There's a, there's a, there's a fixed amount of those out there now. So so Caitlin's one of what like sixty or so, or probably seventy or so at this point. But um, yeah, Caitlin, if I remember, you got it for shortest hiatus, right, or best hiatus because you quit Twitter for the day because you had a meltdown, and then like an hour later, you posted a cat selfie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is very on brand. That's exactly what happened. I I for the life of me, I was thinking about this the other day when um. Last week, when I had a family emergency and we weren't able to do the podcast, I was thinking about, I was like, what the hell was the melt- meltdown over? I can't remember what pissed me off. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, if I remember correctly, it had something to do with the Las Vegas shooting and people were fighting about it on Twitter. I think that's what it was. And I was just like, you know what? I'm done for the day. And then I went and saw my friend's cat, Oakley. And I mean, she was, she was just too cute not to share. Well, usually that award always went to touts who would say like they were done for the day, but then they would give out a winner and they're like, oh crap, I can't, I got, I got to brag about it. And so they'd come back. <laughs> I know that happened at least a couple years in a row. So, uh, but, I mean, but it's inevitable. Like whenever people quit to it, nobody, you know, I always say it's the hotel California. You can check out, but you can't leave. <laughs> exactly. And, and now there really wouldn't even be like, there would only be one person and all you would have to do is look on Mondays and Tuesdays because uh so are always always is like done on Mondays and Tuesdays. And then he goes up like 20 minutes later, say, no, I like this horse. So, um, yeah, but with yeah. him, you know, it's BS, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, ahead of time. So I have, I, I have your book. I finally got your book. I'm going to be honest. I finally got your book. I got it like three days ago and I'm going to start reading it. So here's the problem. I'm going to mm-hmm. be honest. I, have so many history books that I have to get through those before I can get through anything else. And now that school's out, I can actually read a regular book. So I'm just giving you the giving you the four one one on that. Um, well, believe me, there, there's a lot one? there's a lot more people that haven't read my book than have. So you, you're not you're not in the list. Uh, and I mean, I mean, I've been wanting to read it. I, are you going to write another book, or are you just going to keep it at the one? I don't think so. Um, I did start writing a second one and I got like halfway through it and it was kind of one of the things where it just didn't feel like my story to tell. And so I, I, I kind of packed it up and, and, and stopped doing it. I just, I've been, I have a lot of stuff going on with just work and life stuff now. And I just don't have that, uh, 
I don't have any stories in my head right now that are specific to that. So uh, I'm very uh, unstructured in my creativity. I kind of just try to let it come whenever it does, but I don't have any plans for it. It was it, writing a book was a long process and getting the pu publishing deal was that actually came up pretty quick. But once you sign the publishing deal, it's still like another year and a half until the book comes out. Cause you have to edit it so much. And um, I I'm really proud that I did it and that it was, you know, it's one of those just big long-term projects. I think it was four, four years from first page to, published date and uh you know and, and i'm proud of that and it was i think it's a good story and you know i think it's one of those things i'm just ha happy happy i did it and no real plans to do anything like that again and i'm i'm not saying this just because we're friends and i know you jason i read that book cover to cover in two days and i'm serious it is one of the best books i have ever read i recommend it to any horse racing fan any sports fan in general it, it, it's just such a good book i enjoyed it so much and it was even more special knowing that I know you and like, just like knowing your humor a little bit because of Twitter mm. made it that much better. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think I used my backstory to play out a fantasy story. And I think a lot of people think it was, you know, it's like a biography or something, but it's really not. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of, I had to, you know, there's a lot of characters that are based on real people. And the main character is certainly uses my you know, background as a jump off point, but it was mostly just a fantasy. Like I always had this dream of like saying, screw it. I'm going to become a professional gambler and go to, you know, Santa Anita and, and I'm going to do it. And it was basically my way to play out how that would actually happen. And, you know, you kind of had to have a little more backstory than just, Oh, I'm bored. I want to go do that. And so um, one of my favorite stories involving that was, you know, not to spoil it, but early on, he, he does something has an indiscretion with his girlfriend at the time. And the girlfriend was certainly based on my girlfriend at the time and I remember when she read it she's like this isn't true right I'm like of course not you were there of course it wasn't true and uh when I when it, when her mom wanted a signed copy I signed it I said dear Natalie everything in chapter five is bs I was I treated your daughter like a queen <laughs> <laughs> and so like there was a lot of weird you know like oh is that real is that real and I just tell people look it's mostly fiction it's just kind of my uh you know my my backstory is is, is just the jump off point so to speak uh, you know, we, I mean, I guess one of the things that you could basically think about doing is, is talking about all of your travels to racetrack from racetrack, especially knowing that there's so many people that are able to, to understand it as far as, you know, the people that are on at the racetrack and some of the characters. It, that's always the one thing I always wanted to write about were all the characters on the racetrack because there's so many different ones. Well, that, I mean, the early parts of Southbound are kind of set at Portland Meadows. And I mean, a lot of those characters are, are based off real people. And, um, you know, I was one of my jobs there, you know, I, back then you had to have five jobs at every track. And one of them was, uh, you know, being the guest services manager. So like I would, you know, help set the channels and make sure everybody had forms and just little stuff like that, attending to the horse players. And you'd sit and hang out with them in the afternoon. And they all, I mean, were just complete characters and, you know, I remember the weirdest thing was like when you'd see people from the, the OTB in real life, like at the grocery store or something, I was like, oh, wow. It's like when you saw your teacher at the restaurant or something, like you only associate them as, as that one thing in life and you forget they're, <laughs> you know, multi-pronged people. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the racetrack's filled with it and, and the whole sport is, I mean, that's one of the things, I mean, you guys know from doing a show. I mean, I think we've done like 1300 podcasts or 1400 podcasts at this point over six years. I mean, we still haven't interviewed probably a 10th of the people in this game. I mean, everybody, and everybody's got a story, which is fun. Where do you, where do you, 
when you decided to come back, did you was your end goal to do uh, to be able to do? Because I remember asking you, I'm trying to phrase this. I remember asking you one time on Twitter, "Are you going to get back to doing the whole racing stuff?" Uh, as far as like race calling, yeah. Mm-hmm. After Calder, and you said, "No, nah, I think I'm I'm pretty good." Yeah. Obviously, that changed. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the biggest reason for the change? Uh, the Calder thing was Gulfstream Park West. We should, should address it as they <laughs> I, wish. I, Let's be PC. Yeah. No. Um. It it was uh it, it's it's one of my favorite places, and I'm very uh thankful for that place. Even though, like I said, it wasn't Calder as as it was as everybody else knew it. I mean, it was it, it was just not. They tore down the grandstand, and so the track was the same, but everything else was not. But um. I, I had really had a lot of issues with anxiety for a big chunk of my adulthood from, you know, basically right when college ended through, you know, a few years ago. And uh, when I left Louisiana Downs, it was because I was struggling with, with anxiety issues and panic attacks and all that stuff. And it's the same reason I left River Downs, you know, six or seven years earlier. And so I kind of just assumed at that point, like, you know, I'm not going to do this cycle again. Like this is, you know, where I feel better. So I take on something that I'm not ready for. And uh, and then it blows up and, and, you know, and no, none of my bosses at the time, like they, none of them were upset. Like they were all just, you know, they knew I was not doing well and they just wanted, you know, they wanted what was best for me. It wasn't like I burned any bridges, so to speak, but, um, so I kind of, I, I got the podcast job and that was kind of, you know, for me, it was great. Cause I could, you know, be at home and I could work and, and sustain myself and all that kind of stuff. But it also kind of contributed to the, you know, the isolating and not going out and doing things, which is kind of what anxiety can do to you. And so, that year of 2018, I had really started to just do better. I, I, I didn't have like a bottom out moment. I just started forcing myself to go be more social, be more active and go do more things. And, you know, by the end of the year, like I had gone on a plane and I had gone to, you know, to the top of the space needle and all these other things that I'd previously been too scared to do. And I was just, I was living my life again. And out of nowhere, I get a message from Pete Aiello about uh, filling in down there. And I, I had applied for probably six or seven announcing jobs between leaving Louisiana in 2015 and, and the Calder thing, which was the end of 2018 and uh, really never got a sniff on any of them. And hindsight, I'm glad I didn't because I, I just wasn't uh, in a good space at that point, mental, wise, mental health wise. And, uh, and I think it would have just not been good for me or the tracks. And so kind of one of those things where, you know, looking back, you're like, wow, I'm really glad that those things didn't work out, but I was doing so much better in 2018. And uh, it was a short little, two week fill in that Pete needed. And I'd never been to Florida. And, you know, my rule that year was just, I need to say yes to everything. And so I did, uh, went down and did it. It was one of the best experiences of my life. Not, I mean, it was from announcing wise, it was fun to do it again and kind of ended on my terms. At least that's what I thought at the, at the time, but mostly just to, from a life perspective, like, look, I'm going to go out and do things that I want to do again. And I'm going to travel and I'm going to, you know, take risks and challenges and this and that. Cause you know, I mean, if you're someone who's anxious getting on a microphone, especially on a big signal where, you know, 5 million a day is being bet, it's, it's a little bit nerve wracking. And so uh, it was the, the Gulfstream West thing. You're they tore down the grandstand. So all it was, was three shipping containers stacked on top of one another. And 
like, and they were being held up by like these wires. I mean, it certainly was not <laughs> the most stable place to be calling races from. And the top uh, trailer was the camera guy and the photo finish guy and me. And then the stewards were underneath and the equibase and the placing judges were like down on the first floor. And it was a, it was an experience and you had to, you know, you had to lean out the window to see the turn and you're only 10 feet in the air. It was a really challenging race calling experience too. But um, I, and I left there completely content, like, okay, I ended this on my terms and, uh, and that's great. And then like a month later, Monmouth called because Frank needed to fill in. And then like a week after that, Colonial called. And so it was just, uh, it was good timing. And I think that I, just the fact that I kind of proved I could do it to myself, but also maybe to other people, that was, I think, part of the reason why I started getting a little more um, folks knocking at the door, so to speak. Well, it, it sounds like you're going to be saying yes to Florida again. Yeah, I got to go. In fact, I got to leave in uh, three weeks. I think I got to drive my poor car. I don't, I don't like to fly. So I, I have to drive every time. And my mom loves to say she's my, my mother doesn't know anything about horse racing. And she's the sweetest woman on the planet. And she, she tells me, she goes, how come you just can't get the job at Emerald or Del Mar? <laughs> like those, she goes, those are so much closer to home. <laughs> And I go, well, it's not kind of how it works, mom. She's like, Florida. So, I mean, she's, she loves Disney World. So believe me, she, that's all she can talk about is that she gets to come to Disney World. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to drive down uh, to Florida. I, I was telling Andy before we came on, I'm, I'm really glad that I get these kind of two days in the summer to, um, you know, get a couple days under my belt at Tampa, because obviously, you know, in the wintertime, it's, it's one of the premier signals and uh, a lot more eyeballs and stuff. So it'll be, it'll be nice to have a couple days to just get used to the place and meet everybody. And, you know, you, there's so many people you, you meet when you work at the racetrack, you know, the TV people and the Equibase guys and, uh, you know, everybody kind of behind the scenes. So it's, it's nice to get to at least have a couple of days with those folks and then uh, right back to Colonial and then back to Grants Pass. And then back to Tampa. So my, my schedule is going to be pretty nonstop now, but that's uh, that's a good thing. How are you going to handle that? If you're driving back and forth, are you driving cross country? Or are you going to fly from Colonial to? I, I don't I don't do the airplanes. That's it's uh, it's not a I got a that goes back to the anxiety issue. And, I, and actually, I did I finally did fly. I, I found the shortest flight I think in North America. It was from Vancouver, BC to Nanaimo, BC. It was 20 minutes, <laughs> and really about 15 was in the air, and it, and it went so, good. So. I'm open to it, but, uh, no, I, I mean, I need to have my car back there anyway, especially colonial cause we're there for two months. And so I'm going to go to Tampa. I'll be there for a week. I'll have a week break and I'm either going to go to Louisville for a week uh, just to go see the twin spires folks, or, uh, maybe go to Monmouth just to hang out up there and see some people there. But, uh, and then I got to be colonial. I, it's kind of great. Cause my schedule kind of has little two week blocks of time between, you know, Tampa ending and Grants Pass starting between uh, the Tampa summer thing and Colonial starting and then between Colonial ending and Grants Pass fall starting. I got, I think, a three week break. So um, I kind of make my cross country drives into my vacations. Do you find them? I know that when I drive, for, I like to fly, but for whatever reason, there's a there's some sort of Zen quality to the to the whole driving i love it i love it um last year i did a little vlog series you know make little two three minute travel videos each day as i went across and i'll probably do something like that again because just it's kind of fun to have something kind of creative to do on the way there but like i'll listen to records and you know make phone calls and kind of catch up with everybody i mean one of the things that was tough, we, we lost my grandma last summer and she was always one of my go-to calls on the road. Cause it was just like, it was a good excuse to like, Hey, I got six hours in front of me. Let's, let's call grandma and talk with her for a while. I mean, I talked to her a lot anyways, but uh, I remember driving home from colonial a few weeks after she passed and like literally hitting the button uh, 
to go call them. Cause I, I have a weird thing. Like I don't like deleting people's numbers out of my phone when they pass. It just feels, you know, erasing them in some weird way, even though they're gone. Um, and so I, uh, I, I love to do that too. I'll, you know, call friends or family I haven't talked to for a while. It's just, a, it's a, it's, and it, to be honest, like you get off social media for many hours at a time and it's just, it is very nice. I like, I love the cross country trips, but usually by the fourth day, I'm kind of like, okay, let's, let's get there. I did that. I did a different route to Cincinnati the last time I went up there in, in May or April at the end of April. And I went from Lake Charles to like Berkshire Casino and I basically went the back route of trying to get up to Memphis. And I saw so many things I never even realized were like tourist traps. Like <laughs> I found the Northeastern Louisiana Cotton Museum. Yeah. I found, uh, yeah, I found the, I found uh, monuments at Piney Point, which is a heritage site um, on the border of Mississippi. I stopped in Tunica. I mean, it was, that's the stuff I live for. It's just so much fun to do. Getting back to the flight to name, uh, the death, the Nanaimo, right? Is that how you pronounce oh, it? Oh, Nanaimo, yeah. Nanaimo. Uh, did you land in the water or did you yeah. land on a. You did in, in my weird in brain. In my weird brain, taking a seaplane seemed safer because the whole flight was over the water. And I thought, well, if the thing goes down, it's got fins on it. Like we're just going to land in the water and everything's going to be fine. And and everybody told me like, you know that like airline jets are way smoother than those little planes. And I was like, yeah, 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 it's fine. But well, you know, one of my goals for the for this summer or the fall is to is to do a proper uh, airline trip. So I'm, I'm working up to that. Oh no. I don't I, like flying either. <laughs> well, I'm a big guy too, so it's just not comfortable either, but you know, I've been I've been doing good on uh, shedding some pounds. So I, I I know I'm uh, I'll, I'll be a little bit better in that sense. But now it's just uh I had a panic attack on a flight from Vegas back home and ever since and like it just I just n- did not want to be in that situation and so it you know eventually went from, you know, okay, I'm not going to fly for a while to net, then it became 18 years. <laughs> At that point, it seemed like, okay, maybe I should get back to doing this. And it, it, it's certainly something I want to get back to doing because, you know, it will make my life a little bit easier, but you know, for the, for the actual long chunks of work, I mean, I need my car and, and I like the drive, so it's, it's not a big deal. I totally um, get that. For Caitlin, for Caitlin and all those people that have never been to Lake Nanaimo, uh, it's a glacier lake for one. Well, no, no, Nanaimo is a city. It's, I think we're talking about a different thing. There, I don't think there is a lake that I know of. There isn't a lake? Well, the, the, there's a city called Nanaimo. It's on Vancouver Island. Uh, yes, I've been there. Okay. I've driven by it. It's yeah, so we, you just sand. land in the harbor. Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. So and you acted like lake. I didn't know something. No, 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 no. No, there is a lake. Yeah, the, the airplane. I, I I have only visited the harbor, and then I literally got on a ferry and went right back to Vancouver. Like the whole purpose of the trip was just to get in the plane. Oh, uh, yeah, I I went up there uh, to pick up a Rottweiler to Nanaimo, and uh, a fr- a, I took my friend with it. Oh, it's Cather's Lake. Never mind, my bad, my mistake. <laughs> so. But yeah, it was great. And they have a lot of totem poles there because they, it's very, very cool. And I love it. I loved it there. That and okay. I like... Um, British Columbia is amazing. Like, uh, yeah. And I like uh, Victoria too. 
Victoria is like one of the most sleeper towns ever. I think it's, it's, it's so much smaller than Vancouver. So you can walk around the whole downtown area in just a few hours, but it's so pretty and the inner Harbor is really, really neat. And I feel like it never gets any run as a really cool place to visit, but it's, it's awesome. I love going to because we have a, our family's a little cabin in the, the Olympic peninsula, like right across from that. So it's a 90 minute ferry ride. So I go up there usually once a year when they open the have borders. You ever been, have you been to the Beacon Hill park? In Seattle? No, in oh, is that is that in Seattle or is that in? Well, we have a Beacon on? Hill in Seattle. That's why I was. Oh no, this is a Victoria yeah. Beacon Hill Park in Victoria. No, I've it's I've been to the I've been to the Butchart Gardens, the big flower thing. There, that's the big famous yeah I've been there too. Victoria thing. That's awesome. I love that place. That and the castle is pretty cool. If you've never been there, yeah, it's it's great. I love the I love the city. I did a a cruise. And it was fun and enjoyable with my 10,000 people that went on the cruise as well. So, so what made you decide to stop the Beanie Awards? That question was literally just on the tip of my tongue. I was literally about ready to ask that. Uh, it was, I thought they just had run their course uh, from a creative standpoint. I thought it was just not very fulfilling anymore. And, you know, we kind of had, I think, I thought my, my, I, I hadn't, decided to stop them originally i just thought if we're going to do them again we got to really change it because it was just going to i thought going to start getting repetitive fast because it was you know a lot of the same jokes and certainly the same format and everything and, it, and we could have done it and it would have been fine but um i don't know i just i'm a big believer in if you know if something's good but you're not like 100 percent behind it just kind of end it and let it end you know in a, in a good space instead of on a negative note or something like that and we i thought the last year was really really good and so uh, just seem just seem time and I've not had any regrets about it since then because I don't miss you know keeping track of every fight or every reply I, in fact right as I was coming on here Andy Serling was fighting with a jockey's wife and I'm like oh I'm so glad I don't have to copy that photo and put it into my little folder <laughs> Andy never addresses when he, when Andy won an award he never addressed it and then he's so funny because like he'll never pay attention but then he'll send me a text like oh that was funny like, hey come on do what you say that on Twitter <laughs> Well, it's the Bill one too, didn't he? Yeah, he, he, I think he was a best fight guy. Him and I think him and Andy Acero. Like Andy Acero won that. I mean, he 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 became the Zenyatta of the best fight category. What? Um, yeah, because I was because Caitlin and I were like, you know, there's that whole open space of Beamy Awards. We could just do it on. We could do a pod and make it live, and it would. The, it would blow there, up there was there was i think three or four new award shows that showed up last year <laughs> and it was pretty funny like a couple of them were you know somewhat derivative which you know by all means it's not like i invented the award show or invented a comedy award show and so it's but it, I, I did think it was kind of funny that there was a few that popped up last year and like you said there's there's uh there's space and uh, then people will do it i mean if, if if all i know this is this is like saying if all the racetracks you get together if all of the horse racing podcasts could get together and just put out one big award show for the Twitterati, that would that would score huge. Um, I don't know. It, depend, it depends. I mean, we uh, the Beamy thing was, I mean, it was obviously a joke and just supposed to be fun, but like, you know, we took it serious and we put a lot of work into it. And, uh, and I had a good team of writers that would help me. And um, I don't know. I, th I just think it was right for its time. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I think it's good to let it be. Right. I agree. There can only be one. I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement too, but 
you know, I never won one, so I can't say that. So, you know. Are you going to well, give yourself one? No, I, I, I literally tried to pick a fight with somebody one time just to try to get into the fight category, and I lost. Well, I, I tell like, I tell people there was lost over. It's completely not a meritocracy. Like, you can't really try to do it. It just has to be so, the only. I mean, the only thing I would look for was could I make it funny in the context of an award show? And a lot of times it was like little replies that five people saw because you know nobody saw. It. I mean, there was obvious ones where you know like somebody would somebody really with a big account would you know say something funny to somebody else and it's like you know is it that funny if everybody kind of knows that one's coming and so um you know there there was like nobody paid attention to the fact that caitlin quit twitter for an hour and then came back an hour later like but in the context of the award show it's hilarious because it looks kind of ridiculous and so um you know I, I just my whole goal i always just viewed it as a comedy show and you know the, the actual awards like you know to me they were completely secondary of just trying to make people laugh and honestly make everybody in racing kind of get together for a night. Like I always thought that was the coolest part was everybody kind of playing along and, you know, giving their comments on the whole thing. Absolutely. Oh no, that was the best part about it. I, yeah. I, I had, I mean, I know there were other people that were doing it, but I literally hadn't like the button on the refresh, like hit, 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 because I didn't want to miss anything. It used to crack me up when I would look, I have a, I still have my website just for my book and whatever other reasons. And, uh, <laughs> but I used to always post the awards on there. And if I would pan out to like, you know, the last three years of my stats, it would be like beamy night. It would have like 20,000 views in three hours. And then the rest of the year, it was always like eight or 10 views a day kind of thing. And so you'd see these three like massive stacks of, uh, of stats uh, every, every 12 months on there. So now that you're the voice of Tampa Bay Downs, uh, what are you looking forward to about Tampa? Like, is there something that you want to take part in or a race that you're looking forward to calling other than Tampa Derby, obviously? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm just most excited just to call the races there every day. I mean, I, you know, the, the big races are always what a lot of people remember and what get talked about more, but to me, the most fun ones are usually just the day-to-day -day races. Um, you know, to me, it's good racing down there. They have good field size. The turf course is amazing. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a really great group of people, like just from going through the interview process. I mean, all the management people have been there for 25 years and it's, you get the sense it's a very family oriented. It's still privately owned, uh, which is not, you know, uh, a little bit of a rarity in modern racetracks and so there's a lot of little things like that and you know they, they get great attendance there it's a good racing community all that kind of stuff is honestly what i'm most excited about i mean the big days to some degree are more stressful and harder work and you know there's so much going on those days that as actual announcing days those aren't the most fun ones because they're usually stressful and you know everybody's calling for oh can you you know page this group to do that and do this and, and that's part of your job but um just from a kickback and announce and really have fun like an, an average thursday is usually the most fun i'll have announcing it, it really is i'm i'm not gonna lie um i really wanted you for the sam houston job not gonna lie that was uh that was uh that was a possibility <laughs> I was awesome. I was dying. I was like, oh, this kills me. It's like they, well, been, they asked if I could come down perfect. for the because they asked if they asked about coming down for the quarter horse thing. Um, but uh, they didn't know Grant's pass around the spring. They thought it was just a fall thing, but couldn't make it work. And, uh, you know, and, and the Tampa thing came along. But 
Uh, but I know those guys down there and did a little bit of work with them on some, we did a couple social yeah. media videos last year. And so uh, I have a lot of respect for Frank. He's a really, really good guy, the Frank Hoff. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still mad. I never got to go down there because we were supposed to go down there. Me and Ed uh, DeRosa were going to go down for the whole week. And with, with COVID, like that was like right when COVID was peaking in Texas, it was particularly peaking. And it was like the vaccine was like a month away. And I just, I told him, I said, I just don't want to go down there right now. Like we're so close to not having to worry about this. And so hopefully someday, but obviously won't get to do it anytime soon with Tampa and them running pretty similar schedules. Would you yeah, ever call quarter horses? I, I call quarter horses every week. Grants pass. We run two a night, uh, Portland. We ran, we used to run two every week or actually four every week. Uh, and so I've, uh, and then I called a quarter horse meet at uh, Louisiana. So I've, I've, I've done a lot of quarter horses before. I ha- I'm not super familiar with Grant's yeah. past. No. I watch it every once in a while. <laughs> the, the, the truth is, is that I don't think anybody was prior to a couple of years ago. And I think that was, yeah, that's a big part of why I got hired there. I think was they knew I could help kind of spread the word about it. And uh, it's so much fun. Like it is so fun. It's, it's complete small track. I mean, it's a little, you know, kind of an old football grandstand, but they've, they've put a lot of money into making the facility look amazing. They got the soccer fields in the infield to get used all the week by the, the community. And um, they're just really doing a lot of things, I think the right way and, and growing it. Uh, Travis Borsma, who is the head of the, the company, he owns a, a big coffee chain called Dutch Bros Coffee. And he, uh, he was an owner and a fan. And when Portland Meadows closed, the commercial license became available and the horsemen approached him and, and he's been his commitment to it is, is really, really cool to see. And it's neat to be a part of, I, I, I've had a couple people, I mean, Lecky even showed up to Grant's Pass of all, of all people. He showed up like two weeks ago and no. uh, yeah, but we, but we've, uh, I've had, I've had a few friends that have stopped by cause it's, you know, it's a, the biggest major airports four hours away. And so, uh, you know, the Medford airport you can get to, it's just, you know, you're gonna have to have a few connections, but it's, it's such a pretty location. And I tell people, I said, you will have fun if you come to the races at Grants Pass. Like it's almost impossible, I think, not to. And so uh, I'm really, and, and it works so good for my schedule. And I just, it's such a fun, fun place to go. But yeah, the quarter horses, they, uh, we run a couple a night and they're, uh, they're a different challenge and a, and a different thing. But uh, I, I've kind of had to do them at every stage of my career between Portland and, and Louisiana and now, and now here. So there's, I've always been doing a little bit of quarter horse. What do you feel is harder to do, to call? Um, they're very different. A big field short or a big field quarter horse race period can be the most difficult. To me, the hardest kind of races are like a big field turf race that falls apart at the end because you're looking, there's five or six horses that are all flying. They're coming from every direction. The leaders are staggering and it's like, you know, it's just kind of all hell breaking loose for the last five or six seconds. Uh, and, And the other thing with turf courses is they're always further in. So they're just farther away. So you don't see the colors quite as well. Um, those to me are the scariest moments as a race caller in terms, I mean, you know, other than actual scary moments, but, um, a quarter horse race where there's four five, six of them across and there's, you know, they're coming off of the shoot. And so a couple of them are lugging in or out. Like those can be really, really tough. And you just, you don't have enough time to kind of fully communicate everything that you're seeing. And so you kind of have to either kind of guess at who you think is going to be at the wire or a lot of times I'll just kind of throw my hands up and be like, going to be a close finish, you know, do something like that. Cause it's just impossible to describe how much is happening in such a short period of time. But the other times when, you know, when one of them breaks out to in front and it's a, it's an easy one, then those are about as cake as it can get. I learned how to, I learned how to uh, call photo finishes through quarter horse racing. Like 
to try to figure out who the winner was in thoroughbred racing on odd photos mm-hmm. because I never wanted to feel like I didn't know who won for whatever reason. It's just like one of those things to where I'm like, oh, the three won, I'm good. Or, oh, man, I just got beat and just let it go. I don't want to wait for the, for the photo to come up because well, I just big, feel like that's The big tough. problem with announcing is a lot of times you're not on the wire. <laughs> and so sometimes you're, you know, because the camera needs to be on the wire and the stewards need to be on the wire. And so you, uh, like Grant's Pass, I'm in, I'm, past the wire like 20 feet and so the angle's really tricky there and river downs i was right on the wire so like i didn't not call a photo for three years there like because it was just so easy but um a lot of tracks you're either ahead of it or way behind it and so calling photos i'll see people on the internet like how does he chicken out and calling the photo it's like well he's not seeing what you're seeing dude <laughs> that's, that's why but not to be smirch or it's not even a smirch how hard is it to i mean richard grunder's a legend Right. And I, I hate to say that to you as you're getting into your new role, but I mean, those are pretty big shoes to fill and I'm sure you're going to do a great job, but uh, have you talked to him? Have you, have you asked him anything or just kind of gone with the flow? I, uh, I interviewed him in the weeks leading up to his retirement. That was before, you know, before I interviewed or got, they, you know, they didn't do any of that stuff till after the season was over, but uh, I haven't talked to him since I've been hired. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I don't look, I'm never going to, I'm never going to be him. I'm never going to sound like him. I'm never going to have 37 years someplace. Cause I'd be almost 80 years old. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Uh, but you know, so I just, I, I don't, I don't feel the pressure in that sense. Cause I just can't do that. Like I can't, I can't be him. And so, you know, I'll do my best to do what I do. And, and, you know, I, I pride myself on kind of meeting as many people in the racing community as I can and becoming friends with them and all that. And, you know, I think that, it's going to, it's going to be weird, not only for me, but for people watching. I mean, it's always weird when someone who's called there for a long time, you know, cause you just start associating the voice with the signal and, and the track. And so, you know, I'm keenly aware that it'll be strange for a while and there's going to be some people that'll hate my guts and there'll be a lot of people that'll like me. And so, um, you know, I've gotten See, past the, the, the judgment part of that kind of stuff. Cause announcing it's, it's very subjective. I mean, a lot, you know, one person's chocolate is another person's pralines and cream, you know, it's like ice cream flavors. So, uh, you know, I can't, I can't do anything other than do my best. It's really as simple as it is. There's like a few, there's so many announcers that I have that I love to listen to Michael Rona, um, yourself, Chris Griffin, uh, Paul Allen. Uh, You know, those guys, those guys are always great to listen to. They're just fun to listen to. Uh, and, and back to my point, like there's some people that probably don't like Paul Allen or don't like Chris or, or what, and, you know, and that's just, there's always going to be a little bit of that, but um, I think most of the guys do a pretty good job. I, I like that there's guys, every, I mean, everybody should sound different. Everybody should kind of have their own, uh, you know, quirks and, and abilities and all that kind of stuff. Caitlin, you were going to say something. Are you going to drop any grunderisms? on any of the calls just for just for old time's sake i thought about that i don't think i probably not for a while like yeah let it let it stew for a little bit yeah like i don't know i i i think he's like i said he's just so identifiable and i'm never going to be able to sound like him i mean our voices are very very different and so um yeah that and i and the other thing is like i don't know him well enough i've only i've interviewed him twice or three times but i've never met him and so yeah that, it, that just, that doesn't feel right. I, I saw a bunch of people say that in, in messages like, oh, are you, how many, you know, can you do one once a week or something? I'm like, no, 
<laughs> do no, it at all. No. Like that, you know, to me, that's his legacy and it's an amazing one and it's awesome. And, and does it, does it, you know, and it'll be revisited because people will go back and watch those races and um, you know, and down the road, maybe it would be fun to do something like that, but I, I don't, I, that didn't, it wouldn't feel right right away i mean I, i've done tribute calls over the years you know to guys and um you know when i called the the last race of the year at calder i, I did phil saltzman you know they're not gonna get him today and um you know when it, when it feels right I'll, I'll do stuff like that sometimes but I, I don't think right right away that that's the right thing to do in my mind um, i think i think one of my favorite race calls of all time was paul allen and i don't know if caitlin knows about this play call or race call but uh, Paul Allen actually called a whole race on helium. What? He was sucking. It's on YouTube now, but he was sucking helium in be like in calling the race, and it was priceless. Oh was, my gosh! One of the best best calls ever. Now I know you like baseball, right? Yeah, you love baseball. Uh, how tough is it to be a Seattle Mariners fan? uh well it's not great <laughs> but, <laughs> it's not ideal i, I will i, I will mean, say is that like, is it like being a reds fan well i will say that the, the the years that we were good were some of my favorite years of growing up like the 95 mariners and the run they made is like if you want to give me nostalgia overload like just show me replays of griffey and edgar martinez and those guys because those years were so amazing i mean we've we have i think we still have the longest major four sports uh, you know hockey baseball basketball and football the longest playoff drought of any franchise in those four sports it's 2001 was the last time so 20 years um and so that part sucks and it sucks like perennially not being good but you know the Mar like the, for me the mariners are way more about like childhood and growing up and my dad and stuff like that um i the, the i'm an angels fan um i'm a reds fan for national league but an angels fan thoroughly and I and the worst memory that you can possibly remind me was I think the 95 season because the yeah. angels were so far ahead in in the and in, in the AL West and I'm like oh we're going to the playoffs and then Randy Johnson shuts them down on the final day and pretty much ruins it for everybody yeah Martin so, yeah. he beat Mark Langston who was a former Mariner yeah yeah, I mean, it, the great memories for baseball. Uh, and I know Caitlin likes the Reds, and I feel bad for her because right now she's going through something. <laughs> what it comes it, it, to it's, it. It's very, very sad. It's very hard to describe. Because um, they're better this year than I thought they would be, so I'm appreciative for that. But, like, come on. They uh, when, it, when I was at Riverdowns, I didn't know anything about Cincinnati other than the Reds were there and that, what was that TV show, the WKRP? those were like what I knew about Cincinnati when I moved there and the Reds fan base is awesome. Like they're so passionate. They watch the games every night. You know, they would come to the track the next day and everybody would be talking. I mean, just a regular old Wednesday against the Cardinals and, uh, and everybody was talking about it. And so I thought that was amazing. I mean, you know, the, the, I thought Reds fans were some of the best baseball fans I've ever encountered, like by, by a distance, they were, they were, they were awesome about it. And I, I became, you know, I don't want to say I was a fan, but uh, I certainly went to a lot of games and uh, you know, the guy that was the chart caller at river and still is at Belterra is Pete Rose's best friend. So Pete was always at the track. And so you'd listen to him talk reds and watch the games with him. I mean, watching a game with Pete Rose was so interesting because you realize like, wow, he's played more games than anybody. 
I remember him talking about because uh, he, I, I, my uncle uh, who passed away a couple years ago, Mel Stottlemyre was a longtime baseball player, and. I asked Pete if he, if he ever faced him because they were in different leagues. And uh, he said, he said, I think we did in spring training. He goes, he was a, a sinker ball pitcher, right? Like a split finger. I was like, yeah, like he was and like, he remembered like a specific at bat from, you know, from Florida back in 19, you know, 68 or whatever it was. And uh, it was, I mean, the guy was an encyclopedia about Mal- it. It was crazy. Mal Stottlemyre by far was a pitching, pitching guru legend. <laughs> He was one of the like, nicest, one of the nicest guys you would ever want to meet. Like just him and my aunt Jean, their marriage was 50. I, I used to ask her, I was like, is it hard to be married when he's gone half the year? And she goes, Jason, I'm convinced that's the only reason we made it. <laughs> she goes, she goes, when, when Mar- she goes, when March would roll around, like I wanted him out. And I remember at his, uh, at his funeral, you know, the first row of people were the immediate family. And then it was baseball f- friends and then it was uh, extended family. And so we were sitting in the third row and Joe Torrey and David Cohn were the two guys sitting right in front of me. And Joe Torrey went up to make his, his eulogy of Mel. And he had this great line. He said, he goes, Mel and Jean's marriage is proof or uh, yeah, Mel and Jean's relationship is proof that marriage is the ultimate team sport. And I thought that was such a great line to say, and you know, Mel, he was just such a classy guy and, um, and just a really, really sweet man. Man, it just amazes me. The pictures that, that learned under him. He, he I mean, told me once that Doc Good, he said Doc Gooden was the, the best pitcher he ever coached and he's coached really yeah just from a pure talent he said he'd never seen anything like him when he first came up wow that's that's crazy yeah yeah because I mean, he coached Roger Clemens his boat Mel's boat was called Mo in the ninth for after Mariano Rivera wow really yeah his fishing boat on the side it said Mo in the ninth that was the name of the boat I guess, I guess he could afford a fishing boat, huh? <laughs> I mean, yeah, coached for the Yankees for 10 years. That'll do it. <laughs> they also had a, uh, for years, he had a sports, sporting goods store in Yakima, Stottlemyre Sports. In Yakima? Yeah, that, so that's where my mom's side of the family's from. Is a, It's a little town about two hours southeast of Seattle. It's on the central part of Washington State. And uh, Mel always kept that as home for you know, all through the seventies, eighties, and, and even into the nineties. And then he moved over to the, to the West side of the mountains by, by where we live. But um, yeah, they had a little, right downtown Yakima. They had a, a Stottlemyre sports was that was kind of his, uh, his off season business. He coached the Mets in the spring and summer, and then he'd run the, uh, the sporting goods in the wintertime. So, so off topic question real quick. Um, have you ever been to Walla Walla? Racetrack? Yeah. Uh, okay. Never to the racetrack. I've been to Walla Walla. I've been to the okay. onions. Yeah. I always I always find it fascinating. I I, I met um, met a trainer, Les Roberts, who used to be at Walla, who used to train at Walla Walla, mm-hmm. and he was the strangest character in the world. We used to nickname we nicknamed him Hippie because he looked like a hippie. He long beard. I mean, he was a racetrack character, you know. But you never ever wanted to get on his bad side because he didn't care whether or not he got in trouble or not. So if you spun him, if you were a jock agent and you spun him, he'd chase you out with a pitchfork. If, you know, you were a jockey and you screwed up, you better not go through the barn. It's just, it was just one of those things. And I mean, he was a great person and all, but man, was he crazy. So that's all I associate Walla Walla with, is crazy people. Yeah, Walla Walla is far from me. It's in the very, very bottom right corner of Washington. So it's like six and a half hours from, from where I live. All right, Caitlin. 
Are you going to play the game you love to play with everybody? Yes, I will play it with Jason. So they're just three I had little to play questions. It last night. Well, somebody last night on was a trainer, so it wouldn't have been as fun. And we've already done it with Barry, so there's kind of no point. Oh no, we did it. We did it with we did it with Chuck, and he said Marlboro Cup and Angel Cordero, and he mentioned Honolulu Downs, which I had never heard up until yesterday. So, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jason, if you were a trainer, owner, what have you, what what track would you most want to win a race at? Um, I mean, I if, for me, home would be the neatest, uh, Emerald. I, I came close as an owner. We got a couple of thirds, but we never got a win. And so I, I think it would be my, – my dad's buried on the hill right above Emerald. So it's it's like very, very Aww. special to me for a lot of reasons. And so I, w- I would love to uh, to win a race there for sure. I love that. Um, if you could have anybody train your horse, who would it be? I would be my, my trainer that I had was my buddy, Ben Root. I'll give Ben a little shout out. I don't think he really trains anymore, but, um, he was a longtime trainer in Oregon and he, he was my friend. And that was why I went with him. Like I would, I would certainly want to go with someone who I enjoyed going and visiting with and talking with. Mm-hmm. So I will say, uh, Norm Cassie, I'm, I'm friendly with Norm. And so I, I would love it. And I, I think Norm's a really excellent trainer. So I, I would, uh, I'd, I'd probably go with Norm if I could afford his day rate. I don't know what it is now. Norm's really, really cool. I, I like that. I think he's going to be i mean he's obviously fantastic now but i think he's going to be really really great with a little bit more seasoning and age um I've, jockey just real just real quick about norm i've never met a person who's been so polite and nice and took time out of his day as a trainer to just sit there and talk with you in the mornings yeah he's awesome like, that's why i, mean, that's why I said awesome. i mean I, I i would have my trainer be someone who i could kind of go kick it with once every so often because you know yeah. i mean it, i think sometimes i've learned from interviewing a lot of trainers like i've learned that like you know they're they're training horses but they're business people too i mean they're they're all running small businesses and in a lot of cases large businesses and so uh so much of it is about making connections and, and people stuff what about jockey who, who would i ride yes I'm a big Luis Saez guy. I think he's the best guy going right now. So I'd go with him. Okay. And if it was a smaller track, Rocco Bowen. Cause I love, really? I love Rocco. He's my, he's my, he, he, I, I got to watch him when he was first coming around to at Portland Meadows and he, he started doing better. And then he started going to Emerald and dominating. And he's just, a, he's just a really sweet guy and, and a fun guy. And, and I think he's got, I, I actually think he could compete in the big circuits if he gets the right mounts. Cause he's, I think he's good. I agree. Is, is he in Indiana right now? Yeah, he, he's, yeah. Uh, I think he, he's kind of comboing Arlington and I think a lot of them are, I know Declan Carroll was doing that, but yeah, he was, uh, he did done yeah. a sprinkle at Turfway and Churchill and he's, his, his agent is a guy named Joe Steiner, who was a longtime Long Acres rider uh, and also went down to Southern California. But yeah, I think Rocco's just kind of trying to find his, his home, but I think he's going to be all right. I'm going to, I'm going to so bet too. money. I'm going to bet money, you know, Jack and Joe. Steiner. Yeah. Yeah, well, so Jack, you mean the guy that runs the uh, the quarter shoot? That Jack or the, Jack or the trainer? Steiner. Yeah, Jack so, Steiner, the trainer. Yeah, um, the, the crazy thing is, there's there. I have a weird, weird tie into the Steiners. Uh, my mom's business partner for 15 years was a guy named Fred Steiner, who was Joe Steiner's brother, who I think is who is Joe Steiner, the jockey's dad. <laughs> 
and then they're like cousins of Jack Steiner. And so uh, I, you know, I, I've known many a Steiner in my day and Sally Steiner who <laughs> runs the Emerald cafe is one of the sweetest people you'd ever want to meet. And uh, so, yeah, I have a lot of uh, weird, you know, the Steiners are like the bases up there. There's you throw a rock, you hit a Steiner and same yeah. kind of thing with the bases. <laughs> Joe, Joe and I have been friends for 30 years and uh, we can go days without talking and I'll see him and we'll pick up exactly where we left off. He's, he's probably one of the, another one of those people that's just a great human. Um, we were talking about that, about loot, right? I mean, there wasn't a better human than loot, but there's a couple like Norm and, and Joe that could probably, probably be pretty much on the same par. Well, hello, are we yep. on here? Sorry. Sorry. Okay. I was just no, agreeing no, no. with you. Oh, <laughs> so we appreciate you coming on. I'm glad that you can answer any question that Caitlin throws out at you because she's um, always giving out that those questions, and sometimes people are actually more afraid of doing that than anything else. So, uh, thank you for doing that for us as we end the show, and we're grateful to have you on and. Uh, when I told Caitlin I was trying to bring you on, she's like, she's like, is Twin Spires going to let him do it? And I'm like, he's Jason Beam. He he should be able to do whatever he wants. They, uh, to be fair to Twin Spires, like they legit have never told me to do or not do anything. I mean, they're, they really have been very hands off with me, but in, in the best way. I mean, if, you know, if I need something, they do it, but um, yeah, I've never, I've never gotten my wrist slapped on, you know, oh, you shouldn't go on that show or do that. Like, you know. Wow. I wish that would have happened to me when I worked for a company before. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the whole business is a little weird in that sense. I mean, you know, there's, there's people I know I probably shouldn't have on because they work for competing agencies. And so I just don't have them on, but, um, but they've never, I mean, you know, I've, I've had a couple people from like TVG on and, but usually like, you know, kind of like tertiary ones, like, you know, Jose uh, does the quarters and stuff like right. that. You know, not not the not the the main core folks, but I mean, I guess at this point Jose kind of is too. But uh, yeah. no, they're uh, I, I have you know, Twin Spires has been awesome to me. I mean, it's been I think I was with Bet America for three years, and then Twin Spires bought Bet America, and they took over, and they've they've done nothing but support me. So I got uh, nothing but good things to say about them. You love well, to hear. We, uh, as we say goodbye to you, you want to plug your podcast one last one time or? Yeah, just the, so everybody uh, J- can know about it. Yeah, the Jason Beam Horse Racing Podcast, wherever you uh, find your podcasts. And I know they're uh, the new home for content at Twin Spires is uh, the Twin Spires Edge. So our shows are also all the archives live there. All the old Bet America shows are there. So there's, I think, uh, I think we're at like thirteen hundred hours of of podcasts <laughs> that are on there. So <laughs> I think I think we're on about show number fourteen fifty or so. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. It's a lot of a lot of talking. Well, we we greatly appreciate you taking your time off to do this, especially with you being as busy as you are, and greatly appreciate it. No worries, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you.